Matthew 4, verses 17 through 22. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics, and paralytics, and he healed them. Knowing their thoughts, we're skipping over 1225 now, knowing their thoughts, he said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said to them, <laughs> that's all right, Matthew, we're over at Matthew 13, 31 through 33. And he put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all the seeds, but when it is grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others say Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loose in heaven. Matthew 21, 43, and Matthew 18, uh, Matthew 18, 18 through 20. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. All right. So what I'm doing starting this week to entice you to come on 930 is I'm restarting the the Kingdom of God series, and I'm reviewing what we taught in Chapter 1, and I'm hopefully going to have enough time to review some of the series titles so that you can see where the series is going. But this is a series, uh, We there's a lot of reasons I got off track on it and so forth. We taught through uh, about halfway through the third chapter, and we jumped in, over and taught some things from something like the seventh chapter. And so I'm just starting at the beginning. Uh, a lot of people are back from Wright State, a lot of people who are new in our church, and obviously we're growing. And so I, I just really wanted to give everyone a chance to, to track with the whole uh, the whole series. And then, frankly, another motivation I have is that chapter two, the I didn't, I didn't like the recording, and it, it ended up uh, being divided into a 2A and a 2B, and I didn't really like that. And so I'm hoping... Uh, next Sunday at 9.30 to do a better job of doing chapter two over. <laughs> and uh, so chapter one, which the if you want to go back and listen to the original podcast, that one did come out quite well. And uh, you would do well to listen to that. Uh, I uh, Hopefully I'll do okay by the grace of God. Lord, help us today. Help me to stay on focus and to uh, to make the points well. Help us understand your heart. The mouth speaks out of the abundance that fills the heart, and Scripture is your mouth. It's your word to us. Therefore, it's your heart to us. And first and foremost is that you have an eternal kingdom that you're bringing into this time-space world. And the things that trouble men, uh, that torment people, uh, come from not being under and, and through and in your kingdom, through your Son, the King of the kingdom, Jesus Christ. Amen. So our series theme verse is Matthew 6.10, and it clarifies what the kingdom of God is and what the kingdom of God is not. Roman number one there. Matthew 6.10 says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, uh, what this scripture makes clear is three points. The kingdom of God is not primarily heaven. I did a lot of surveying of people for a couple of years before we launched into this. And the average person that I said, what would you think the kingdom of heaven means or the kingdom of God? And by the way, the only difference in those two phrases is that Matthew, because he's writing, primarily targeting those Jews who had missed the fact that Jesus was their King, Lord, and Messiah. And he's writing a love letter to try to reach them for the kingdom and the Jews thought it was disrespectful to use God's name. So he calls it the kingdom of heaven where everywhere else the other gospel writers and the other New Testament writers say kingdom of God. But they mean one and the same thing. The Jews thought that the name of Yahweh was so holy that you could not use the name without violating uh, the commandment to not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. The very fact that we say it would be saying it in an unworthy matter was their viewpoint. And so Matthew was respecting that by saying the kingdom of heaven. But the kingdom of heaven uh, is not the plan of salvation or it's not heaven. It's a breaking into this time-space world with the will, 
the liberation, the reconciliation, the redemption, the restoration of all that was lost in the fall of man so that God's kingdom filled with his characteristics, his nature, his spirit would fill the earth. And the, the, a, a true and accurate reading of the Bible is that a very significant measure of that is going to happen through the restoration of the church in every nook and cranny of this planet, in every tribe, tongue, nation, and village prior to Christ coming back. Now, that's not the eschatology that 95% of Bible-believing Christians think, believe, but that is the eschatology of the scriptures, as this, as this uh, uh, series will help you see. Now, the kingdom of heaven is not the popular motion, notions uh, during the, the days of Christ's first advent. Now, when we say Christ's first event, it's just a traditional way of saying his first coming. His John the Baptist, Christ's birth, Christ's public ministry, Christ's sinless life, his death, burial, resurrection, ascension, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, the birth of the church, all of that is referred to as the first advent of Christ. In uh, many, in those uh, Christians who follow the Christian church calendar, uh, in the five weeks before uh, Christmas, they uh, celebrate advent meaning the celebration of the first event of christ because it was the first event of christ was was like the sunrise in the scriptures one of the many images is that the path of the righteous is like the sun which rises fuller and fuller till the full day god's kingdom is like uh, at dawn the in in the incarnation of christ the light broke into the world and that light is increasing 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 Popular notions today is that it's going to get darker, 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 but the Bible does not declare that. The Bible declares that the light is going to be greater and greater and greater until the full day. And we will see that thoroughly in this uh, series. Um, there was so, the, the popular notions during the day of, of Jesus was that God was going to send his uh, Messiah and it was going to be a top-down bringing of the kingdom, a change in physical governments. And David's kingdom was a foreshadowing of the kingdom of God, but it was a geographical kingdom. It was not, uh, in reality, the kingdom. It was a foreshadowing of, of the kingdom. And so what the people of God expected in the days of Jesus was a Messiah that was going to be a military conqueror that he was going to throw the Romans out and reestablish a geopolitical kingdom and an idea of a, of a Messiah that was going to break the power of sin and change people from the inside out into the character of God and liberate you from the tyranny of, of, of sin and demons and darkness and wrong religions and wrong philosophies that was going to set the world free they couldn't understand that. So much so that after three and a half years of Jesus teaching to the contrary, in the book of Acts chapter 1, verse 6 and 7, when uh, Jesus was about to ascend to be with the Father, the disciples asked him, Lord, is it at this time that you're going to restore the kingdom, uh, basically the kingdom David style, to Israel? In other words, 
gee, Lord, we've been expecting you all along to throw these Romans out, establish this geopolitical kingdom, get rid of wicked guys like Herod and Pontius Pilate, and uh, you keep doing things like dying for our sins and resurrecting. That's great, but doesn't your resurrection power mean that now you're going to, you know, Jesus had said it, uh, don't you know, when, the, when Peter wanted to chop off the, the people's ear, or he did chop off the high priest's servant's ear, and they wanted to fight with the sword, and Jesus said, put your swords away. Those who live by the sword will perish by the sword. Uh, these guys were saying, okay, uh, Jesus, you said this hour and the power of darkness is theirs, and you did this great triumph by, you know, they Satan and his kingdom thought they were going to triumph, and you you died, but you rose again, and now through the resurrection, and now are you going to bring the kingdom in, in like it, like people are expecting the kingdom to come today, where Jesus is going to come back, uh, split the uh, Mount of Olives, and establish a geopolitical kingdom and restore the nation of Israel or something. Uh, which is a total missing the whole point of the whole Bible. And, uh, but that's what they were still expecting. They didn't really get it till Pentecost was poured out on them. One, one reason I emphasize having a greater experience and power of the Holy Spirit in your life is you really won't get it without that. Jesus, you know, the Pharisees knew scripture from memory. They, had, they knew the whole Old Testament by memory. And um, Jesus said to them, this is the reason you're mistaken, because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. He was telling guys that understand the Bible and know uh, in terms of an intellectual grasping of the Bible by memorizing scripture and how far that can go. He was telling the Pharisees, you don't know the scriptures at all. It's pretty, pretty radical for someone who's memorized the whole Old Testament, right? He's saying, you, didn't, you don't get them. You don't get it. And he says, the reason they don't get it is because you can't know the scriptures apart from the power of God. If you haven't had uh, Holy Spirit experiential revelations of the, the sovereignty of God and the majesty of his glory and, and all these kind of things, your eyes are yet blind to seeing the message of scripture is what he's saying. That goes a long way to help us understand our own day in the, in the Christianity of our times. So the kingdom of heaven was not the popular notions that the Israelites expected in his day. And frankly, uh, you're going to find out that it's not the popular notions that people expect in our day. Um, but the kingdom of God should be our goal and our priority for our ministry and for everything we do. So... Um, you might ask, going to Roman numerals two there, why is there a central, comprehensive, overriding, or dominant theme in all of Scripture? Because the Bible has one author. Now, on a human level, the Bible was written by 40 authors on three continents over a period of 2,500 years. But that was all guided and directed by one triune God whose word is eternal. Isaiah 40, verse 8, forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. God ever knew every jot and tittle of scripture and had planned it all in how he was going to create certain guys and, and work in their historical circumstances and work in their personality types and character and so forth that they became, they became 
his conduit for his divine inspiration of inerrant scripture. And he knew Revelation 22 before there was ever a Genesis 1. He knew it. He knows it all. He's omniscient and he knows the end from the beginning. And so uh, you wouldn't expect any good work of any kind of literature not to organize itself around one theme. Um, I have a, a series uh, on 20th century history by a very top non-Christian professor, but he calls it uh, terror and utopia in the 20th century. And he organizes all of 20th century history around the principle that various humanistic religions like Nazism, fascism, communism, uh, democraticism, uh, various visions of a, how to bring about a utopian thing for mankind have, en have ended badly in, uh, in, in terrorizing their populations. You need to kind of understand that, that, that every, every philosophical system is a, is a complete religion, and uh, no lord allows another lord in their own territory. If you uh, want to understand world terror today, you need to go beyond what the news media and the last two presidents of the United States, Bush and Obama, have defined Islam as, as being a religion of peace and, this, and really understand the nature of the religion. Because jihad is in keeping with the, with the teachings and the spirit of Islam. And so people who are, there are lots of nice, wonderful Muslims that you'd want for your next door neighbors. My, the guy who does the keys for our church is a Muslim guy who I've been friends with for many years. But he's what's called a nominal Muslim guy. guy. He understands a few things about his religion, but he doesn't understand it much. And he, and he doesn't get the spirit of it. Uh, so he's a great guy, but if you really get the if you really get Islam as a whole, it grew from the seventh century on by cutting people's heads off and forced conversions and conquering. That's what the Ottoman Turks were about. That's what the Moors were about, and those two Muslim kingdoms uh, just about overran Europe. And by the grace of God, were were stopped in the fifteenth century for a number of reasons that I don't want to go in now. And I'm not trying to do a bash on Islam or whatever, but all, all things like communism, communism is a total religion. Karl Marx said communism is a humanism, and humanism is a religion that answers questions like who or what is ultimately real, what's the nature of man. All religions do so, and all religions are total in their claims. Um. However, uh, what the Israelites were expecting was G God to exercise his sovereignty and his kingdom by some forced military conquest. And if you understand Christ, it could never be. Put away the sword. The, the only sword in Christianity is the sword of the spirit that goes forth in such a powerful way that it slices down the middle and people's eyes are opened and you either choose to love and follow Jesus or you go into further darkness and lostness. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. That's a very exclusive statement, and Jesus said it. 
There's no other way unto the Father but through me. Christianity is basically saying God is one, therefore all truth is one, and all other things that don't, that don't come forth from Jesus Christ are, are not truth, and therefore they're destructive. They, religions hold whole economies of people back. There are many poor nations throughout the world that have been kept poor in some cases for centuries by their worldview and by their religion. You see that in Africa, etc. Many places. So, uh, the reason the Bible has one theme is it has one author. And no good piece of literature has like 100 unrelated themes. The Bible is sewn together by one theme, the kingdom of God, and the kingdom of God is inextricably intertwined with the king of the kingdom of God, the progressive revelation of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Trinity, and the progressive unveiling of his Son, the king of the kingdom, our Lord Jesus Christ. So let's get into the primacy of the kingdom as much as I can in 15 minutes or 20 minutes. The primacy of the kingdom in the New Testament. I wish I could develop this more. I didn't on the first recording, but the writers of the first five books of the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Acts, were self-consciously writing a new Pentateuch. The word Pentateuch is the word that describes the first five books of the Bible that Moses wrote, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and everything about our faith is founded in the Pentateuch. You cannot begin to understand the Christian faith or the Bible apart from a deep knowledge of the Pentateuch. Likewise, the writers of the New Testament were very un, uh, understood and not in the apostles and frankly, the church fathers who came from the apostles. Oh, it's called the church doctors or the church fathers, the Antinocene fathers, the disciples of John, like Polycarp. They all understood the reason they put the, the, the books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, in that order was they understood that, that this was a new Pentateuch that, based on the old Pentateuch, was reinterpreting the old Pentateuch to say what God always intended to say, but was not as revealed as fully and clearly so that we would understand what the message of the old Pentateuch was all along. And as Paul said, talked about it in 1 Corinthians 3, he said there's a veil that relies over Moses in the Old Testament scriptures, and that veil is removed in Christ. In Luke 24, when Jesus is talking to the disciples uh, about how everything in, in the law of Moses, the, Psalm, the prophets and the Psalms had to be fulfilled. He's saying everything in the Old Testament is about me. And it says he opened their minds to understand the scriptures because how you understand the scriptures is by having the keys to the kingdom. God gives you certain insights that you take to the Old Testament scriptures so that you can begin to see that they're all about Jesus on every page. And once you begin to understand how to look for biblical imagery and, and the, the, uh, the unfolding revelation of Christ, you begin to see that it's all about 
Adam was called the first Adam. Jesus is called the second Adam. Adam uh, was the progenitor of a fallen race. Jesus is the progenitor of a redeemed race. There's only two races in the world. There is those who are fallen in Adam and those who are redeemed in Christ and, and are redeemed enough that they understand the community of believers called the church. And that's the, that's the essence of man's divisions among the, man's divisions. Because in Adam, all those born of Adam who have not been reborn of God are at enmity with God, with themselves, and one another. Part of the problem when, you're, when you don't know Christ, you, try, you have lots of problems of this or that tormenting you, but you can't get, them to get it together. You can't overcome them because uh, they can only be overcome as you're reborn in Christ. So, and the, the essence of, of biblical Christianity is God loves you and accepts you right where you're at. That's why our slogan for years has been acceptance as you are, but empowerment to grow. Too much modern Christianity either is uh, criticizing who you are to sinners or accepting sinners, but just leaving them there. <laughs> And neither of those helps anybody. You know, uh, I love to, to people to start to know that our church has many uh, drug addicts and what, starting with a pastor, <laughs> you know, and, and Christ set me free. And uh, he loves me be, while I was hating him, while I was running from him, while I knew nothing about God or the Bible, he came looking for me. I didn't seek out truth and find it. <laughs> I was running from truth, as every person apart from God is. We most avoid the people who have the most truth. Because uh, the truth, I'm, I wish I could tell you something different, but the truth's going to kill you. <laughs> you know, I, I often have young Christians who are like, Man, all the troubles in my life and the trials and temptations, and is God trying to kill me? Well, of course. <laughs> because as you die in Christ, you're reborn in Christ, and you're set free to become the person you were always made to be and more in harmony with yourself. So uh, the ancient church fathers were, were basically uh, writing a new Pentateuch that is the key to understanding the old Pentateuch. Matthew has over 50 kingdom references. We read quite a few of them in the scripture reading, so I'm going to move right on. Matthew is my favorite book of the Bible. Mark uh, starts out with, now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the four spiritual laws. Oh, wait, wait. That's a my No, he was proclaiming the gospel of God and saying the time is now it's fulfilled the kingdom of God is in your midst it's at hand repent and trust in follow cling to rely on obey serve the gospel and that's the whole message of Mark often the writers of the New Testament will reveal play their hand in the in the first chapter of where they're going 
And that was John the Baptist. Mark starts with John the Baptist preaching that message, then Jesus preaching that message. He doesn't go into the things prior to Jesus' met ministry like Matthew 1 and 2 do and like Luke 1 and 2 do. He just starts with John the Baptist saying, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. People are confessing their sins. But the, the, the gospel is about the kingdom. And it's about the present power and realities of the kingdom. One of the things you'll see if you study church history is all Christians have always believed a phrase that's very, very popular right now. The kingdom is already and it's not yet. Right? Because obviously the scriptures make very clear that there's going to be a second coming of Christ and there's going to be a fuller uh, revelation of the kingdom and, and, and so forth. But if you go through church history, the people who have expanded the kingdom are the people who believe the kingdom is now. The people who've retreated from reality have always been the people who are, all, are focusing only on the future possibilities of the kingdom after God rescues us in some geopolitical cataclysmic way. And you study all through church history, the people who believe in the present power of Christ's resurrection, the outpouring of his spirit, who take the church very highly, because no one who sees the kingdom can is, is an individualist. They're a, they're a community church kind of person because the kingdom comes through the people of God. But anybody who sees it clearly sees that the kingdom is now. You know, uh, God wants to go into demonic schools, demonic neighborhoods, demonic families, just like me, and set me free. I was a very blind, lost person, addicted, confused, uh, insecure. I, I I was real popular and all this kind of stuff. But it was all it's sham. It was all shallow. It was all nonsense. I was living a double life. Inside, I was riddled with insecurities. You know, I was a wrestler in high school, and when, I, when you shake hands at the beginning of the mat, at the beginning of the match in my heart, I was saying, what did I ever do to you? Couldn't we just talk this over? <laughs> you know, I, I had no courage. I had no self-confidence. I had no reason to have any. Outside of Christ, you can't have any of that. Uh, Luke and Acts start are all about the kingdom. Uh, in Acts, Jesus, it says he presented himself alive by after his suffering by many proofs, appearing them to over a period of 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Now, if your goal, none of us have really understood what it means to be really intense and sanctified about a goal like Jesus was. But Jesus came to set the captives free. He came to destroy the works of the devil. He came to restore all that was lost in the fall. He came to make satisfaction for sin once and for all in one atonement. He came to delight his father and do his will. And he came to, to, to bring a new kingdom into your life. And that, if, you're, is your, if we could understand that kind of intensity which we could probably only understand in a little glimpse of it, we would understand that if you've got 40 days left with your disciples, uh, you're going to talk about the, the most important theme. And this scripture makes it clear. What he talked about was the kingdom of God. Now, uh, 
you should act, by the way, I don't know why I don't have that. Add, add above there where I have all those scriptures from Luke. Add Luke uh, 24, 44 through 53. Luke 24, 44 through 53. And you'll see Jesus talking about the kingdom. John, uh, uh, again, John uh, talks his whole view of the kingdom. Again, uh in the in the Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we see Jesus uh, casting demons out of people in seven dramatic illustrations of that, and in then thousands of little uh, ways. But John focuses on a bigger picture. He came. He focuses on how Jesus came to cosmically destroy all the works of darkness. And when you know Pontius Pilate and John ask and. Um, ask him, uh, is he the king of the Jews or whatever? Jesus says, my, my kingdom is not derived from this realm. And the truth of the matter is the kingdom of God was no immediate threat to Pontius Pilate or Rome, and Pontius Pilate got that, but it was the ultimate threat to Pontius Pilate or Rome. In the, in, because it was uh, going to form a community of believers who would walk in light and proclaim light and dispel darkness and liberate captives until in five centuries the, the church t- captured the whole Roman Empire. And uh, it's interesting that if you look at um, the last uh, 350 years of American history, it's very similar to the book of Judges where we've been losing ground in terms of our influence, in terms of Christ and his kingdom on our culture. But we are actually facing the same philosophical foundations as what the the church was facing in Rome. Greco-Roman humanism was the first postmodern culture. And uh, it was the first view of culture that that was evolutionary, that, that saw man as having no value, uh, the state was everything. The state was your savior, and, and, and Caesar himself was considered king and God. The, the titles for, for Julius Caesar were king of kings and lord of lords. And uh, so, and Rome was determined that every tongue would confess Caesar as lord and every knee would bow as Caesar as lord. And the Christians said, we can't do that. Moving on to Paul and Peter, um, Paul, Acts 28, which uh, um, basically says that he was, for two years he stood in his own rented headquarters discussing the things of the kingdom of God, right? Um, It still says quoted above because I had quoted it in the first uh, notes. Um, read, Read the end of Acts. Uh, for yourself. Oh, there it is quoted above. Paul lived there two whole years in his own expenses and welcomed all who came to him proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness without hindrance. Now, is that what you'd be doing if you were in prison for the sake of Christ? I'd be like whining and complaining. You know, where's my cottage cheese and peaches? (laughs) Where's my mixed vegetables? You know, where's my air conditioning? Where's my gel foam mattress? <laughs> uh, you know, 
you know, the Christian, Christians, of the, the, they were cut of a different cloth. And God help us to get back to that. You know, it marvels, like how hard it is to get people just to come to both messages today. Really? The early Christians celebrated the Lord's Day for about 8 to 12 hours. Amish people still do that. You know, uh, at an Amish wedding, there's two receptions. They have like a wedding followed by a big lunch, and then all these people come in. One, You don't just put your gifts on a table. You come in and give the gifts one family at a time because it's much more communal and personable than that. And then they have another big reception and dinner and all that later. <laughs> you know? uh, and the, on the Lord's Day uh, in, a, if, in an Amish community, the church service isn't over till everyone's had a piece of pie after the picnic and they've all played softball. You know, you uh, they're really into softball. But the Lord's Day is like a whole day. And really, that is, like, that's how the New Testament Christians practice the Lord's Day. You know, I marvel that, like, you know, I'm not whining, hopefully, but maybe I am. But, uh, you know, I'll, many times, like last night, I actually got to bed by 3.30. Uh, we don't have full-time pastors, so John and I study all day Saturdays and, and, and however long it takes. And then I constantly get, like, people who've had 12-hour sleep. I couldn't get up for the 9.30 message. I'm like, are you kidding me? Uh, we need some toughness. Paul's in prison, and it's not hindering his ministry. Do you know that Philippians and Philemon were written from jail? <laughs> you know, <laughs> in jail, he's like still talking to Jordan and Nathan and Kennedy and saying, you know, I, I got to get the messages done and get them out. <laughs> so he's, he's having people write letters and deliver them for him. We, we got it, you know, for me to live as Christ. Could, could any of us say that? For me to live as Christ. What consumes my daily life and motivations is Christ. Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Many of us know that verse, <laughs> right? Because you know what? The, contrary to the American prosperity gospel, uh, I can't promise you if you if you're called of God in real biblical conversion includes a sense of calling and destiny as part of a people from the beginning. And if you have that working in you, uh, it's going to be tough. You know, I talk to students often who are called to uh, get business degrees, engineering degrees and so forth who are also saying, God's called me to go to this land or that land to plant churches. And, uh, you know, what I want to say to you is uh, if, if that's what's working in your spirit, you can't fulfill the call of God on your life and be an expert at the comics, uh, video games, uh, mindless television shows, or whatever. If you're going to fulfill the call of God on your life, you're going to need to get some steel in your soul. And I might, I would encourage you to consider learning how to study on your knees. That's what I used to do in college. So I, I, I kept myself to a rule of studying the scriptures three hours a day while I graduated with honors in a secular calling. And I'm not saying everyone needs to do that, 
But we lollygag around and we spend hours on Facebook and so forth. If you aim at nothing, you'll hit it. And if you're aiming at something, you know, at least take some lessons from the athletes. That's what Paul's telling us to do in 1 Corinthians 9 when he talks about those who compete in the games. Do you know, I, I love the football player named Jerry Rice. He's retired now and so forth. But, you know, he set all the records there are for what it means to be a, a split end or a wide receiver. Uh, amazing guy. And when he was interviewed, he, he would always say, I heard him say this two or three times, uh, you know, what motivates me is a fear that I'll be less than I could have been. And this, he had like a discipline re regime. And he, what is he doing it for? A few Super Bowl rings? You know what? I pray to God, God would open us our eyes. Jesus came to set the captives free. He came to destroy the works of the devil. Jesus came to, to establish his kingdom through all the earth. And if you think the kingdom is shrinking and so forth, which is the Western view of Christianity today since the Enlightenment, just study a little bit. Read a guy, write this down, read, read Philip Jenkins' book called The Coming of Global Christianity. The average person who lives in England today is, is fretting about the demise of their culture, the loss of the Christianity, and so forth. And in the birthplace of one branch of Christianity called Anglicanism, about one million baptized Anglicans attend the Lord's Day services each week. In Nigeria, 40 million baptized Anglicans attend the church services every week. Christianity's not shrinking, it's exploding worldwide. And the issue is, are we American Christians gonna, gonna break three from our Christian comforts and our lackadaisicalness, and are, are we gonna get in on what God's doing? You know what? We really could uh, see God lead hundreds of people to, to Christ at right state, but we'd have to be more intense Christians to do it. We could see God leading hundreds of kids out of the culture of poverty through the culture of Christ in his church into a, a great adult life. Believe me, the answers are in Christ. But first, you know, just like God took the Israelites out of Egypt, then he had to get Egypt out of the Israelites. And the only way he could do it was the first generation died. And a new generation was born. And that's actually a scriptural metaphor. You got to die completely. We have very small selected areas where we're willing to let God kill us. But believe me, he wants to kill you. <laughs> so that he can birth in you an entire new identity, an entire new set of motivations, an entire new understandings, an entire new way of life. God wants you not to have answers as the church has so much in Western culture today. What we have to do is, is incarnate the things of God into a Christian community in such a way that we are the answers. That we can actually say like Paul, be an imitator of me and as I am of Christ. Hebrews 13 says, consider those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the outcome of their way of life, imitate their faith. Could you honestly say to your friends, if you want to know Jesus, hang out with at my house and with my friends more? 
And believe me, if you really want to encounter Jesus, model your life like mine. That's what we have to be shooting for. Anything less is less than biblical. Well, the primacy of the kingdom in the Old Testament. Um, a very key verse to understanding the, well, we didn't even do Peter. I'm out of time. Look at those verses in Peter for yourself. Peter in 1 Peter 2.9 is quoting Moses in Exodus 19.5 and 6. So I'll just jump to Exodus 19.5 and 6, and that'll cover Moses and Peter. If you indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession, the apple of my eye, open among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. See, God really owns the, the whole earth, but where the kingdom is, is those people who are willingly doing his will. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. These are words you should speak. Now, Peter quotes those verses right above in the re the reason the uh, that the caps are the new american standards way of of saying it's a quote from the old testament and he's quoting the same thing god has always intended to have a people not radical individualist not personal savior which is a the most common phrase in christianity today but it's not even in the bible paul Paul 54 times calls Jesus Lord. One time he calls him my Lord. 53 times he calls him our, the churches together, lifestyle together, Lord. And uh, because God wants a people that manifest his presence, that do his deeds, that show forth his character, that where you can act and honestly say, do you want to know what it means to be a, a real biblical Christian? Just come hang out with us. Come to the picnic. Um, now, we could talk about the major and minor prophets. Uh, Isaiah 2 and Micah 4 are quotes of one another that says, it'll come about in the last days that the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains and all peoples will come to it. And they'll say, uh, teach us the ways of God and the law will go forth from Zion and all this kind of stuff. Believe me, Psalm 110, sit at my right hand until uh, I make an enemy, uh, thy footstool's an enemy for thy feet. The whole posture of the whole Bible is the expectation that his kingdom would start by granting people confession of sins, conviction of sins, confession of sins, repentance, a, a new new spirit and a new heart, and that person would grow into Christ-likeness among a people of people growing into Christ-likenesses until that people began to be the primary light in the neighborhood. That's called the church. That's the message of the whole Bible, uh, and it's not this retreatist message. We always read this uh, at Christmas, but in Isaiah 9, it says, for a child will be born to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. His name will be called, all these different types of wisdom, the sevenfold wisdom of God, and there will be no end to the increase of his government or his peace. Contrary to popular expectations, the best days of the church are ahead of us. And the church will explode worldwide. And no totalitarian governments are, are going to be able to stop it, even as they weren't able to stop it in Rome. Um, now, these some of the things we covered today are just the most minor 
or most direct statements about the kingdom of God in the Bible. But frankly, in a way, this approach is kind of similar to the modern, what's called proof text approach, where you have ideas and then you assign the verses that demonstrate those ideas most clearly. But if you step back and take what we try to get people to do, a comprehensive and systematic study of Scripture, what you'll see is the kingdom of God is is the whole point of Scripture. In Genesis 1, God bursts uh, uh, Adam and he tells him, be fruitful, multiply, subdue the earth, and rule it. God always wanted a, a nation of people born of one royal head. In the first, Adam blew it. But God told Abraham that in you, all I'm, your seed, he talks about Abraham's seed, and in your seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And that seed is Christ. Isaac was a foreshadowing of that seed. And all through the Bible, uh, the, the point is, is this, that there, there's going to be a kingdom. There is a kingdom. It already exists, and it's in Christ, and it's, it's, it uh, goes forth by the power of the three tools of God's grace, the word, the spirit, and the church. Take forth the kingdom, and there will be no increase end to the increase of that government. In the Bible, there's two governments in this world. And when you come under, when you become a Christian, you get liberated to not be dominated by death, sin, and all the other things that torment men. You get set free from your torments. And that's why the Bible is full of imagery. It starts with a garden. It ends with a city because the garden becomes the city. Uh, you know, there's a garden wilderness thing and, and where, you know, Jesus had to go through the wilderness to, to bring forth the garden and so forth. There's all kinds of imagery, which we will look at in chapter four. Lastly, turn over and just look at the titles. I had hoped to uh, have enough time to cover some of the titles, but I'm not going to. But how we're going to do this is uh, t- next week, we'll go back to chapter two, the kingdom of God defined. In most weeks, uh, we won't get through a chapter in one week. Like chapter three will be about eight weeks. I'm hoping to take some of the things we already taught about chapter three and maybe consolidate them a little bit like I did today. But uh, let's let's uh, get the children back upstairs and, and uh, let's get re- ready to celebrate our covenant with the Lord and so forth. And, um,